0: Thank you to Christian and Natasha for being here and prompting uh, this discussion. As those who have seen others, we we do a series uh, on taking Ignatian spirituality, the life of Ignatius, and exploring the ways that it connects with our disciplines today um in all that we do here at loyal high school and part of this community so really excited to have this conversation connected to the life of ignatius and particularly uh, the story of him and his conversion and the topics of uh grief mental health wellness other things that are so timely for us today it's in may we are celebrating the international Society of Jesus and all Jesuit ministries 500 years since St. Ignatius was hit by a cannonball. And that trauma led to a major disruption in his life, and ultimately to a period of discernment. It's a story that's told many times and might be familiar to people familiar with Ignatian spirituality. But like any story, like any life, there's so many uh, levels of depth to what is happened there and I think it's a great opportunity I'm excited for this conversation uh, to look in and dig into what must have been going on for him emotionally psychologically in that time and how that experience even though 500 years ago might speak a little bit to us today Uh, I'll turn it over to my uh, two panelists when they introduce themselves uh, just have them also say their kind of role here it will. Let's do that first. Hey,
1: everybody. Um, you've all seen me plenty of times on these videos now. Uh, but I'm Mr. Christian Destron, um, and I'm our campus ministry program coordinator of many things. Um, and yeah, I, I think for me, the idea of Ignatian spirituality unfolding and being born out of a moment of processing grief and trauma and of reimagining oneself uh, really is a powerful idea. Um, and some of the stuff that I've heard Natasha bring up too to our guys at different retreat settings, uh, really, I thought would make this an interesting conversation to be a part of.
2: Awesome. And I'm Natasha Hamlin. I'm the student wellness coordinator here at Loyola, and I am new and very happy to be here this year. Um, I'm really excited to talk about integration and just see kind of where we go with these different disciplines we come from, so thanks for having me
0: so as you can see we're kind of we're set up outside in our distanced way and uh unlike watching us just uh to chat in zoom you'll be kind of dropping into a conversation so uh just say reality wise we won't always be paying attention to the viewers <laughs> and the camera but you'll be with us here in in the conversation so uh, i'll just open it up with that um, idea uh, that natasha was sharing with us just before but just to take a word like grief, right? Something that we don't often think about when we're thinking about, let's say the life of a saint, like St. Ignatius. And yet in the trauma the experience of two severely broken legs, all the horrendous surgery that came after that, the long recovery process, how much there must have been uh, in that uh, process, and how we all can learn from uh, how we need to reflect and deal with that. I mean, we are experiencing a a year unlike any other, and whatever's gone on for us in our individual lives, we know collectively as a society and as a community, there's been trauma, there's been grief, and and what more time we have a topic to talk about. Christian, is there anything you'd like to add to that setup?
1: Yeah. One of these things that we, we've actually talked about with one of our student retreats is the idea that processing grief, processing the, the cannonball moment for Ignatius uh, took time, that it took that physical time of rest to be able to do that. Um, I, I think for me, that's one of like these key concepts is that we don't allow ourselves to take the time to process grief. We can never do those transformative things that we see, for example, in Ignatius' life to go from soldier to saint mm-hmm.
0: no absolutely so much going on underneath and i know uh natasha uh kind of being and uh, talking in our, our colleagues day, reflecting on the story some of the ideas were prompted for you uh, yeah you just kind of yeah share a little bit yeah that.
2: so i think the first thing that came to mind for me was um just the five stages of grief which is a model developed by a psychiatrist named Kubler-Ross. And that was really founded um, really around death and dying, but that process can still be reflected in everyday kind of loss and and experiences that we have throughout life, not just around death. And so those stages, um, you know, you start with denial, might move to anger, next would be bargaining, and then you've got depression or sadness, however you want to name it, and then acceptance. So that first stage of denial is really, you're kind of in survival mode. You you have to deal with this emotion, um, strong emotions that are occurring. Um, You might be wondering how you're gonna move forward with this this loss in your life, like what is your life gonna look like? You might be minimizing or downplaying it a bit because it's just too much to take in at that moment. And then that can shift to anger because a lot of the times when we're hit with a lot of emotions, um, it can manifest as anger. And that's typically kind of like a first response, but there's really a lot of secondary emotions underneath that. So typically when you see someone very angry, there's other stuff, sadness, um, grief, uh, maybe trauma underneath fueling that anger. You can then kind of shift to bargaining, and this is typically with a higher power. So things like, um, God, if you just give this to me, I promise I'll, you know, I'll go to church every Sunday or I'll, I'll do whatever, insert whatever you want. Um, and then it can, it can move into sadness and sometimes full-blown depression, but in, in kind of other terms it might just be sadness and that's really when you're feeling that pain um, from that loss. And it can look like things like isolating a little bit, um, not really reaching out in social connections or circles anymore, maybe you're um, not engaging in certain activities you might have done before. Um, and then last stage would be acceptance. So this, is, this isn't to the point where you don't feel that pain or loss anymore, that's still there, but instead you're not resisting kind of your new reality, right, and that the new um, opportunities that might be in front of you and you're sort of thinking, what am I gonna do next with this? Um, maybe I'm gonna try these things out, I'm gonna go this direction. And that the thing with these stages is it's not necessarily just one to the other, right? Sometimes people will go a couple of stages, bounce back, um, they, they might be in two stages at once. It's a little bit more complicated than just listing those out. But um, in general, that can be a lot of people's experiences with, with loss and with grief. So really moving through that and recognizing that that's kind of a normal process for us to go through is important um, and accepting kind of those stages that we're in so that we can reach that final stage of acceptance, right? And then there's opportunities for growth and for change from there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's so helpful to have an awareness of the, to be able to name a process of what we're going through, Mm -hmm. right? Because in the midst of it, sometimes it it all can feel so overwhelming and outside of our ability or control and Mm -hmm. when you were talking i was just struck by uh you know how we often begin in denial Mm -hmm. because i think in the life of saint ignatius we saw that pretty strongly Mm -hmm. because right after the his injury he was just in denial Mm -hmm. denial that this was going to lead to any change in his life and so he goes through horrendous things he has his legs rebroken he goes and has part of his leg sawed off because in his mind he imagines that he's just going to return to normal so just to give an example from his life of how strong some of those uh pieces of resistance can be uh any anything
1: strike you christian from that? Bob, bob's mind went to the same place that yeah. mine goes to and in a talk i've had with some of our guys uh, here it's i'm i'm like it, it took ignatius so long and he was willing to endure the pain of to be a little more graphic than maybe than bob was Um, He had his legs stretched out in a bed with weights, like this tremendous source of pain to the point of being a denial that he was willing to become sick and have to convalesce. I think it's so important to think about that. It was the denial that made him become a convalescent, not the cannonball itself. Mm -hmm. It was, he he did that to himself. And I think that, you know, for me, when I think about my own experiences, it's so powerful that I, I find that my own denial about those moments that can change my life have, is where the growth comes from not from the moment itself mm-hmm. in a lot of ways it's mm-hmm. it's me having to wrestle with my own interiority of, of grief and you know to use that word intentionally and and to learn to let go and just become detached from that previous outcome that i just have no control over
0: mm-hmm. yeah so much can unfold from one experience mm-hmm. yeah how is that um, have you seen that kind of in your own uh, work?
2: Or yeah. Experience? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really complex, you know, it's easier to sort of simplify things with these stages and talk about it in that sense, but there's also, um, with a lot of clients I work with, um, there's also shame, a, sh- a bit of shame and, as a component to it too, because society is not very patient with this process, right? It's kind of like, you know, if you take death and dying for, for some reason, I mean, what would you say as you know what society might allow a person to be in that space for? Like, how many months are people patient and accepting of that? Would you, how would what would you guys say in your experience that you've noticed?
0: I mean, I think that people tend like after a few months, you know, people are thinking about okay, like how long will yeah, it be? exactly. It, yeah. try to create like oh, in a certain number of. Year yep. or months, I'll be yep. beyond it.
2: Yeah, you know, and it and it can take so much longer than yeah. what people say. I would say around like three to six months. People are kind of like, all right, get yeah. it together. Yeah. You know, come on, let's do something here. And and that's not always the case for people. Um, sometimes people might fake it that they're doing okay, and and I don't know if we really want to be in a community like that, right? We want people to be able to be authentic and honest with where they're at. But there is that piece of shame too that people expect me to be okay and to be better, and I should just get over this. Hiccup in my life, or this um, this loss in my life, um, so I do see a lot of the a lot of shame, a lot of guilt around it, which also are kind of roadblocks to the process. It's part of the process, but it's hard to kind of move forward with those things. So a lot of that stuff has to be um, dealt with really before you can kind of move on. So I see that a lot, definitely.
0: I think that's such an important part to think about, like how much space. Is created mm-hmm. for people to really and live in the process to do and be who they need to be. You know, I mean, it made me think of just as, you know, St. Ignatius's family, when he decided to change, you know, paths, mm-hmm. were not in favor. Yeah. Right? They wondered a lot through that long period of convalescence mm-hmm. like, what's he up to? And then when he came up with these new ideas mm-hmm. and changing who he was going to be. You know it was not something they were excited about and yeah
1: you know i'm even thinking about beyond ignatius like the responses original ideas had in his own setting were not very popular Mm -hmm. he you know he got thrown in jail for a while because of some of the things he was talking about and and some of his own insights um i mean that's a a little further down the road from the cannonball uh, but i think it speaks to how profound the change can be and how how big of a shift that can come when we allow ourselves the time to do that just our our own interior self. And I'll use the word authenticity, maybe that own sense of authentic self that we really can finally dig into can so dramatically change from what we perceived it was before.
2: Right. And also not minimizing that process of how long that takes and also the challenges along the way because it must have taken and been really difficult for him to make that change in himself and then to not have support from other people. So that's another hurdle to come across, right? So it's, it's a challenging thing to go through, definitely.
0: And that it's not done on a particular timetable right. or even once you're done with a certain level of it. Right. So Ignatius goes through this first dramatic initial conversion opposition of his family and then goes off uh to uh, montserrat where he symbolically lays down his sword and kind of the external symbols and then this time in manresa where he spends months just kind of going internally and in that period we see him really fall into some deep depression perhaps following the you know the stages of grief where he's really coming Mm -hmm. to recognize the real loss and the depth of it and how often i think that that can happen sometimes when we think we're done with it or we're past something all of a sudden something new comes and i think it was so important what you said that we can get into this place where uh, we will blame ourselves like why am i not past it Mm -hmm. why haven't i moved on Mm -hmm. and so much of it that Ignatius wrestled with that he tried to pass on to us is that this desire for control or certainty are illusionary mm-hmm. and can lead us down the wrong path, mm-hmm.
1: right? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm I'm struck by one of Ignatius' big takeaways by the at the end of his life yeah. from that initial period is he dealt with shame so visibly. Mm-hmm. Like he forced himself to wear uncomfortable clothing, he forced himself to do Practices of you know, I think today what we might say self harm of, you know, extreme fasting, pushing himself to his physical limits to try and you know get over those. what I think what we can really say are emotional, mental, and spiritual hurdles through physical means. And you know, you can see that he didn't have the tools at first to process that. Uh, and I think that that is such uh, a powerful part of his story, is that having to he had to go through the process of learning to develop. His own unique method of authentically processing that grief, through I, you know, by Bob, it's pretty years of his life that he had to do that because, you know, he talks at the end with you know letters to younger Jesuits about don't do practices of extreme fasting and, and do this or that. Instead, it's about asking yourself these questions and allowing yourself the freedom to lose control to finally get there, rather than trying to gain more control through through practices of austerity.
2: Yeah.
0: That was throughout part of what he was trying to do is pass on the wisdom that he'd gotten right. through his own suffering to others. Right. What are there, you know, and part of that was like tools or insights, what are kind of some of the practices or tools or yeah. things that you yeah. would offer? Well,
2: when you guys were just talking about that um, letting go of control piece, it made me think of a lot of times with my clients it's, it's working on, What is within your control and what is not because there's so much anxiety and so much energy spent on trying to trying to worry about things that you don't have control over. And obviously it's easier said than done to try to let go of those things, but I really do work with my clients on recognizing that so give me a list of what's within your control right now, you know, um, can you study a little bit more for this exam, cool. You can't change how the teacher's gonna grade it, so let's put that over here. You can't change this grade from the past test, but what's something that's in control now? Um, So I think being able to compartmentalize those a little bit and and learning to kind of lift those up to either it's a higher power or just kind of putting those away. We do things like ripping up the piece of paper, some kind of metaphorical things like that, Um, but really trying to differentiate that, that piece of what you can control and what you can't. And then um, trying to expand that window of tolerance because of that emotional pain, right, that you're going through and that those strong, strong emotions that are so difficult to manage. So um, increasing that window of tolerance a little bit by a little bit of exposure of those feelings while also coupling that with coping skills, right? So meditations, praying, um, deep breathing, exercising. Um, We talk a lot about um, kind of the isolation of, of that people feel when they're going through this. That's why group therapy and support groups are super helpful because you don't feel alone in your process of grief. There's a lot of grief groups out there for that reason. So really joining people in community and making sure they have social supports as they're going through this, this time in their life um, are kind of the key points I would say.
0: Yeah, you know, when um, talking about kind of what we have control over and what we don't and the importance of that, it is, I think, so much also in the context of Ignatian discernment. Yeah. So one of the things you'll see with discernment is, uh, is an important question is, is the decision timely or not? Yeah. Often there'll be great anxiety that's produced by a decision that doesn't have to be made right then. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it'll be the brain or the spirit or whatever kind of focusing you on the wrong thing, right? The same way you can you get focused on these things It can be a lot of emotion about it, but we don't have any control over. So, too, you could get very worked up about what I'm going to do, you know, at the end of the year. And all this energy is wrapped up in it when you're missing decisions that need to be made this week, yeah, right? So one of the things in a context of something like spiritual direction will often come up is is this decision timely or not? Mm-hmm. Is this something you need to focus on or not? Mm-hmm. And helping to clarify those things is a lot about what Ignatian spirituality is trying to do, is to draw distinctions, right? All decisions are not equal. All things are not equally within our control. Just in the same way that naming the stages can help kind of empower and get create a nice separation. So too, uh, sometimes being able to name the distinctions uh, can help give us a better hand on how we need to act and what we need
1: to do. Yeah, I think that is that's so true. And you know, I think one particular thing um, that comes up for me in my own sense of spirituality and my own I think self care practice is that Ignatius's idea and Ignatian spirituality's idea of um, not I'm trying to find the right word here, Bob. It always it always. Not not disengagement, but the detachment the, the ta- thank you there's the indifference. word difference yeah not, it's indifference Ignat- Ignation. indifference ignation indifference it's i it always i know it always rhymes um but right, but the idea of for me, ignation indifference is is such a powerful motivator in my own life to think about if I can't control this why why do I have to be so involved with it if you know like this, this is not where my energy my care my sense of you know fulfillment in the world it can't come from things that i can't control and the freedom that comes from being indifferent in that way not not that i think so often we hear the word indifferent and we think well i don't care about anything Mm -hmm. but rather it's being intentional and saying i can't care about the things that i can't control Mm -hmm. and the freedom that comes from giving yourself that just that permission to breathe right and that permission to and i think Um, One of our other conversations that everyone should watch um, is daydreaming. And Mm -hmm. I think for me, I love the practice of giving myself the freedom to daydream about things about myself that I can control, Mm -hmm. that I can be an active part of changing and letting go of those dreams that just don't involve things that that are out of my my sphere of influence on a daily life.
0: Mm -hmm. No, no, absolutely. One of the other things you mentioned was kind kind of... appropriate exposure to different emotions and also in support with others, right? So I think that uh, both in that and in all of our work and being part of a community here, um, it's that desire to support one another in the challenges we face. So just turn a little bit here to our shared context of the pandemic of this past year, right? All together, we've all experienced uh, collective grief in some ways, what, what can we say about that how can we think about you know are there things as we as a community um, you know that we would offer uh, you know just for ourselves here or, or for others any thoughts on that
2: yeah I mean I think the biggest thing is that um, really we're still sort of in our trauma um, with the pandemic it's it's kind of, we're all sort of in the survival mode of like, how can I still do a good job and be a good parent and be a good sibling and all these things, Um, and just trying to kind of get through the day. (laughs) And so it's very much still kind of survival mode, like fight or flight situation. Um, And when we start to come out of, of the pandemic and things go back to being normal, um there's a lot you know some people will kind of return back to baseline but for a lot of people they're not going to and so we need to really start thinking about that more um obviously we're still dealing with with where we're at now but that's going to be something i think um, some people will just be expecting everybody to be okay and be fine and back to normal and just um having that uh, patience with people and that space for people and acknowledging that that's kind of a normal reaction too to not just be totally fine after going through a traumatic experience like that um, is is going to be really important.
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things for me is I keep I've been coming back to as I think about doing, you know, working with our students and our own faculty and staff and hearing people still grieving. So I think so openly and so um, I want to say bitter, but just just with this sense of when will this be over is such like a strong feeling right now. Especially with vaccines, and you know, all of us I here are vaccinated, and more and more people are, are entering into this space. But they're asking, does the grief not have an end? And I think one, um, you know, one of those things that I've talked with people about, and with myself, is it's just um, again letting go of that part of the grief of saying we don't get to decide when the trauma ends, uh, unfortunately, and and knowing that we just have to walk through it in community. And I think it's so important to, to think about that, that our, our sense of community really should be something that we hold to now and be willing to question and expand after we're done. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, just in what both you were saying, so many echoes of the earlier part of our conversation, right, about the importance of letting go of control, mm-hmm. of the importance of letting go of thinking that there's a timeline, uh, and or that people will be at the same place at the same time. And also too, uh, letting go of the idea that we're going to return to a certain type of baseline that we had before. right? I I often think of the context of Ignatian spirituality, what St. Ignatius went through, and uh, you know, my own and and others kind of in the working of mental health and wellness, is that at the end of it all, it's not a, a, we're back to the, the baseline of before. Uh, it's changed, mm-hmm. but we've also gotten better, stronger, whatever because the ways that we've been able to honestly and effectively go through those experiences, mm-hmm. right? And so that uh, not to be looked to just uh, the, the hope of the, the future, but that in, in the recognition that it's going to take a long time, that we, there is no set timeline, but that having conversations like this. Being able to lift up collectively, more effectively, the reality of grief and trauma will equip all of us as a community, hopefully, to be able to name these experiences and to get the support that we need and deserve from one another, not just in this experience, but in all of our collective lives going yeah. forward. Is any other you know thoughts or comments or things that you know stir from this conversation?
2: I mean, I think just um, the plug too that sometimes, you know, majority of the times you can't always go through this process without getting outside support, whether that's just with friends and family, but um, that it's it's normal and it's okay to be getting like professional help with some stuff too. I don't want to minimize this whole process and say that that's not a, a huge and a key important factor with it, with trauma, with grief, with loss. Um, is is that it's is really important to take care of yourself and get support from professionals as well as your you know, friends, coworkers, and family members too. Yeah,
0: no, that's, that's a great point to get the, the help, the professional help mm-hmm. that's out there and available and, and um, such a benefit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think going right along with, with you know, getting the help is acknowledging that in some ways the trauma never leaves. Mm-hmm. That the trauma, you know, that becomes with the new baseline, that becomes a part of us. This experience will always be reflected in the way that we we interact and and we go with others. And I want to say the sooner, but I think the the more willing we are to acknowledge that and to bring that to the forefront of how we operate, will make that process um, so much more complete. Maybe if that's the right word, mm-hmm. kind of thing. To to draw the completeness of the experience and to look at. How that it really has changed our entire way of life and what that means stepping into a new, new kind of baseline for everyone collectively and, and individually.
0: I, I think that point about that sense of integration, uh, of bringing in the full reality of life is so much what uh, Ignatian education, Ignatian spirituality, Jesuit. Uh, values is all about right because what Saint Ignatius entered into in after that disruption was a deep commitment to integrating who he was as a person all the failures and difficulties the external uh, self-driven and externally put on traumas into a life that was oriented towards something more And I think what we see in his example is that when we enter into that, rather than kind of this objective, I'm going to check all the boxes and and get the external standards, but really going in, being integrated, was it led him to a powerful and generous life of service that contributed so much more, I think, to his own life and and to the broader society. And and that is what we're about in in the education uh, that we hope to provide, is that a deeper integration for every one of our communities, for our students, for faculty, staff, and for others, for our own growth and wellness, and so that we all can be even more effective and generous in society.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think one one last thing to add to that is that belonging mm-hmm. is such a huge part of that, mm-hmm. that we belong to one another and to be comfortable saying that, mm-hmm. saying that I, I care to let you know that I care and that I I want to see you grow from this as well as myself. And I think we have a responsibility to do that together mm-hmm. and to make sure that everybody is, is going through that process, not just making sure that we do it ourselves.
2: Yes. Definitely. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank you both. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great, it's been a great conversation and I think an example of the potential for what uh the types of conversations that we we hope we can all enter into right that actually uh addressing important real things like grief the trauma that we're collectively experiencing the recognition that there's always so much going on for other people Mm -hmm. and the need that we have for both the professional support and just the support of family and friends Mm -hmm. those kinds of conversations sitting together and, and being willing to talk about it Increases that sense of belonging. Yeah. So,
2: yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having thank me. Thank
0: you very <laughs> much. Yeah. Yes, thank you both.
2: And.